0: Well, about uh, three or four years ago, a man called me on the phone and uh, offered me some resources for my ministry, and uh, they were a series of DVDs and books and all kinds of good resources that uh, would be useful to college students as I'm ministering to students. And as I talked with him on the phone, uh, he talked about all of these resources he was going to send, and I said, how much do they cost? And he said, "They, they cost nothing. It's free. I'm going to send it to you as a gift. And I kind of pressed him a little further and I said... uh Do I need to sign up for a club? Is there some sort of monthly ongoing fee that's going to occur after I get these resources? No, 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 no. I just love helping out. I said, so there's there's nothing. There's no strings. There's nothing attached to this. You're just going to send me these things absolutely free. He said, yeah, absolutely free. I just love to help out groups like your own. And so I finally, after talking to him for a few minutes, said, okay, go ahead and send me the materials. I'll look over them. I'll see if there's something we can use. And I appreciate it. And uh, I got all the materials and they were good. It was a huge stack of just great stuff. Began to look at it myself. Had some of our interns look through these resources. And uh, as we were looking through them, about two months after I got them, I received a bill uh, for several hundred dollars. And uh, I picked it up and I I thought, this must be some sort of mistake. Uh, The bill said, if you do not pay, you must return the resources. And so I picked up the phone and I called the company and I uh, got on the phone with one of their representatives, and I said, "I'm confused because I was very explicit when I talked to them on the phone that there would be no charge. This would be absolutely free." And she said, "Well, that's that's not true. I don't know who told you that." And I said, "Well, let me look here." And I uh, gave her the name of the guy I talked to, and she said, "Oh, sir, I'm very very sorry uh, that this happened to you, and I do need to tell you that this particular man we've uh, asked to no longer work here because." Uh, He had been making promises that we could not keep, and he had been dishonest with the customers, and so he was gone uh, and fired. I'm not usually the kind to rejoice in another's misfortune, uh, but in this particular moment, I couldn't help feeling just a little twinge of uh, joy that justice had been done. This guy was no longer there. Uh, Unfortunately, I did have to return all of the resources because I was not going to pay what they were asking me to pay. And uh, it got me thinking about this concept of uh, when you are offered something for free, I think all of us are skeptical. And I was already skeptical before that event, but something about that made me even a little bit more skeptical. When somebody calls and says something is free, or you see something online or in a, a magazine, and it says it's free, if it seems too good to be true, most of us have learned it probably is. Very few people promise things to us and actually deliver something for free. Now, I think that our understanding of that concept poses a problem sometimes when we talk about eternal life. If you were here last week, Pat talked about uh, how can I be saved? And the core of his message is that salvation is a free gift. It's offered by the grace of God because of what Jesus has done, that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. And he rose again. And if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. Absolutely free. And I think for some of us, uh, we have a hard time with that concept. How could God give away something so wonderful with no cost? And so I think people have tried to solve that challenge in a number of different ways. And one of the ways people have tried to solve that challenge is by saying, well, God gives it to you uh, by belief in Jesus Christ. But if you don't continue to do the right things or say the right things or think the right things, then God will take away the gift that he's given, that you could actually lose eternal life. Some people believe that, that you could actually lose your salvation. And if I were to take a poll this morning, my guess is that there are some of you in this room that you believe that concept, that if you don't continue to do what is right, or perhaps if you sin too much, God is going to take away eternal life. And for some of you, this is probably a source of stress. You may lie awake at nights doubting your own salvation. Perhaps you believed in Jesus Christ when you were younger, but now you're at a place in your life where perhaps you've struggled with sin. Perhaps you even struggled with, uh, do I believe this? And you wonder, am I really saved? Maybe you wonder that on behalf of a family member or a friend who you know trusted in Jesus when they were younger, but now their life doesn't really match up with what uh, they said that they believed. And the question is, would God revoke or pull away the salvation that he promises for free? Is it really a free gift, or is it like so many other gifts that we hear about that are free, where there's a catch on the back end? You have to do what is right and persevere, or God's going to take it away. I think this is a critically important concept for us to understand from the scriptures, and I think it affects deeply how we pursue the Christian life. Because if we believe that at any moment God may pull away, take away the gift that he's promised us, I think that has the possibility of filling us with fear. I think it has the possibility of paralyzing us. I think it has the possibility of causing us to live the Christian life motivated sheerly out of duty rather than out of gratitude and joy at what God has given, because we're afraid God might take away salvation. So the question for us this morning is, what does the Bible say on this concept of eternal security? The idea of once saved, always saved. If I have trusted in Jesus Christ, Can I rest in confidence that I have eternal life no matter what happens down the road? Or do I need to worry about my eternal future if I sin too much or if I disobey? What does the Bible say? Uh, We're going to, we're obviously continuing in the essential series. We're going to talk about this concept of eternal security this morning. Um, There are packets in the back, in the foyer that you can buy that will go through this material. This is lesson four, I believe. You can also download them for free online. We're going to go through a slightly different structure than is in the packet, but all of this information I'm going through is in there, and all the verses I'm looking at are in there. So I'd encourage you, uh, if you don't have that already, go ahead and download it or, or get one this morning so you can go through this series with us. But we want to look at this concept of eternal security. How can we know that we have eternal life? Can we know? that we have eternal life. Can I really know for sure if I believed in Jesus Christ? And I think that the scripture absolutely says that we can. I'll tip my hand right here at the beginning. I absolutely think that the word of God says, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, it is a gift that can never, ever, ever be taken away. And that you can be confident of that. So I'm going to give you four reasons for that this morning. And then we'll talk about why does this really matter in our walk with Christ, right? How can we be sure of our salvation? First of all, because we did not earn it in the first place. We didn't earn it in the first place. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. All right, this word grace simply means something that is given freely, something you didn't earn that is given away. The idea is that God gave to you salvation because of what Jesus has done. You didn't earn it. In other words, nothing about who you are, nothing about what you've done or thought or anything contributes to the gift of God that is given to you of eternal life. None of it, nothing you can do. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you place your faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God was given to you based on what Jesus had done. And what Jesus did on the cross was he paid for your sins. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But the idea is this, something that is given as a gift, uh, you didn't earn it, therefore you can't lose it. In other words, there's many things in our lives that we earn or that we pay for. And if you stop paying for them, they're going to take it away, right? Think for a minute about uh, all of your insurance policies that you have. You have car insurance, you have home insurance, you've got all of these policies. Think about your car insurance. You pay a fee each month. And based upon that fee, if you get into an accident, uh, theoretically, they will pay the cost of that. Now, I say theoretically because if you ever tried to file a claim, you know that may or may not happen, right? But theoretically, there is a promise. You make a payment, they will cover the damages if you make a mistake. Now, usually these policies also have a limit, right? There's only so much that they will pay. And there's only certain things that they will pay for. And if you stop paying, the bill each month, they take away the insurance. And I think some of us think about salvation that same way. We say, all right, I believed in Jesus, but I I recognize there's got to be these ongoing daily, hourly, moment-by-moment payments I have to make to God, really. And if I don't keep making these payments, he's going to take it away. Or if I do something that's too bad or too serious, God's going to say, ah, this policy doesn't cover that. And he'll take it away. few years ago some Mormon men came to my door and all of us have had the missionaries come to the door and I began to engage in conversation with these guys about the gospel and I showed them this passage and I said do you do you believe that 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 salvation is an absolutely free gift based completely upon what Jesus has done and they, they showed me a verse from the book of Mormon that's very similar to this it says for by grace you are saved after all that you can do And what they said is this, they said, imagine that you were to want to buy a bicycle, maybe you're seven or eight years old and you want to buy this bicycle and you go to your dad and you say, dad, I want this bicycle. And uh, your dad says, okay, you need to save up your money and give all the money you have to it. And you save up your money and all you have, you're seven or eight years old, right? You've got $2. So your dad says, all right, I'll take your $2 and we'll put that together. And then I'll take my $98 and we'll go buy the bicycle together. And they said, that's how salvation works. And I said, no, 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 no. You know why? Because you don't have $2. You don't have it. You have absolutely nothing that you can contribute to the receiving of eternal life. Nothing. Each of us, the scripture is clear, is, is born in sin, dead in our transgressions. It's Ephesians 2. And apart from the spirit of God, We can do nothing that is eternally significant, and there's nothing we can do to earn favor before God. That's the idea of depravity. doesn't mean you are as bad as you could possibly be, but what it means is that there's nothing you could do that would merit you any favor with God that would count toward eternal life. And because you didn't earn it, it cannot be taken away because God gave it. It's a gift. That is the meaning of grace. It's a gift. Dads, it's Father's Day. It's a great time to celebrate. You may be getting some gifts from your family today. You may get a tie. You may get a number of things, apps for your iPhone, whatever it is. Now, imagine your family, they sit down with you at lunch, and they hand you all of the gifts, and you look at them, and you go, man, this is great, thanks. And then your wife pulls out a calculator. And you say, what are you doing? She goes, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just adding it all up, right? And uh, over the next year, you owe me $342. Well, that's ridiculous, right? It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. That is what the scripture says absolutely about our salvation. Okay, so the first reason you can't lose it is because you didn't earn it in the first place. And to believe that somehow if I continue in good works, that is the way that God will continue to give me salvation is to believe that my works can earn what God has given as a gift, right? We didn't earn it. All right, secondly, uh, we can be sure of it because Jesus paid for all of it. Jesus paid for all of it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. This is talking about the Old Testament law, and he says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, that's Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down, at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Okay, if you were a Jew who lived in the time of the Old Testament law, if you committed a sin, if you violated the law, if there was some sort of ceremonial uncleanliness, you actually had to take an animal, you would bring it to the priest, and the priest would make sacrifice for you So that the wrath of God did not come upon the nation. And each day, the priests made thousands upon thousands of sacrifices. And so they never sat down. Their work was never done. They were always making sacrifices in the temple. And the author of Hebrews says, here's what Jesus did. He made one sacrifice, infinite sacrifice of himself. Because he is the son of God absolutely perfect, can make one sacrifice that pays for all the sins of mankind. And then he ascended into heaven after his resurrection and he sat down. He took a seat. And when do you sit down? When the work is done. And so Jesus sat down because he paid for every single one of your sins. The ones you committed yesterday, the ones you will commit today, the ones you will commit tomorrow. For all time, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus' sacrifice is not bound by time. It's not bound by the amount that you sin. It is absolutely and perfectly complete. Another verse that addresses that in the book of Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What Jesus did on the cross serves as a permanent, eternal, complete sacrifice for all of our sins. What that means is that there is no limit. There is no amount that's too much beyond which God says, I'm not going to forgive that. Eternal life is an absolutely free gift. A few months ago, my wife and I were um, eating at a restaurant here in town, and uh, we saw some friends of ours from this congregation while we were eating. We talked to them for a couple of minutes, and uh, they had been there before us, so they got up and left. When we finished our meal, the waiter came over, and I said, all right, I'm ready for the check now. And he said to me, well, actually, your bill has already been paid. And uh, our friends had paid the bill before they left, and they had left, and there was really nothing at that point I could do except say, great, okay, we'll, uh, we'll see you later. And so we got up. Now, here's what's interesting about that is they paid the bill not knowing how much we were going to order. And they didn't write down for the waiter, here's the things they can't order, right? No filet mignon, no dessert, right? Water only. They didn't do that. Okay? They could have, but they didn't. Instead, they said, pay for whatever they order. Now, if I'd known that, I might have ordered differently, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but here was the deal. There was nothing I could do that was going uh, to hit the cap. They had paid for it ahead of time for whatever was going to happen at that table. That's what Jesus has done on the cross. He has paid for all of our sins, past, present, future, there's nothing you and I can do that will change that. Now, is that open to abuse? Is it possible that we could abuse the grace of God? Certainly. When you give away a gift, it's possible it could be abused. Right? A similar illustration about eating out. Um, occasionally, as a college staff, we will take our staff and interns out to a meal. And uh, we have learned that we have to be very cautious about how we tell them that we're paying for it, all right? Because uh, they are 22, they don't have a whole lot of money, and they are always hungry. And so uh, if you say, hey, we're paying for it, uh, we may really pay for it through the nose, okay? And it is possible that grace can be abused. And so uh, in real life, earthly situations, we set boundaries sometimes around gifts, don't we? And so it's hard for us to imagine that God wouldn't do the same thing. And the reality is, though, that he doesn't. And yes, it's possible that grace could be abused, that somebody could say, wow, if God gives that for free, that I'm just going to sin and sin and sin and sin. And in fact, that is such a possibility that Paul addressed it in Romans chapter 6. He says, why shouldn't we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? In other words, the more I sin, the more God's just going to give me grace, And what's interesting in that passage is Paul could have answered by saying, because if you do, you'll lose your salvation. But he doesn't say that. I encourage you to read that chapter at some point this week. But the way that he answers that is this. Something about you has fundamentally changed. You've died to sin. And if you continue to sin and sin and sin so that grace may abound, you are abusing the grace of God. And there are consequences for that. And Blake is actually going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. Why should we continue living righteously if salvation is a free gift? And there are real consequences for abusing the grace of God. But the scripture is so clear that those consequences do not include loss of eternal life. It's a free gift. Because Jesus paid for every single sin, past present, and future. He paid for all of it. Third reason we can know for sure we have eternal life is because God preserves it for us. God preserves it for us. Romans 8, 31 to 39. If you have your Bible, flip there for just a moment. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty comprehensive. Paul says, nothing in heaven, on earth, anywhere, no angel, no principality, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, that's such a comprehensive description that I have to think it also includes me. Why? Am I a created being? Absolutely. Paul says, just in case you wonder if anything could separate you from the love of God, I'm just going to add this, no other created being, nothing else, nothing can separate you. And in this context, he's talking clearly about those that God has saved, his people. He says, no charges can be brought against you. No condemnation can be brought against you. You cannot be separated from what God has freely given. This is as clear a verse as you will see, clearly indicating that once God has given eternal life, he does not revoke it because it comes from him and he preserves it. Jesus says something very similar in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you belong to God. He's adopted you eternally and he holds you securely. And there's nothing that you could do, nothing anybody else could do to separate you from that because of the character of God. God gave the promise. God keeps the promise. He is absolutely secure. It's said that uh, perhaps the most secure place on earth is uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, where the United States deposit of gold bullion is kept, $200 to $300 billion of gold at the present time. And uh, Fort Knox is protected by uh, a 22 ton blast proof door. There are turrets with machine guns. There are uh, dozens of guards. There are multiple layers of fences. The vault has a combination that requires 10 people to unlock it, and nobody knows the entire combination. Uh, it's said that there are lasers. It's said, rumored, that uh, if someone actually could break into that vault, it would fill up with water, flushing out or drowning the person who tried to break in. Right? And with all of that security, it's also protected by an army of 30,000 soldiers, if necessary. You will not break into Fort Knox. Absolutely secure. Imagine that security times an infinite number. That's the security with which God holds our salvation. All right, well, Fort Knox is secure because the character of the place is such no one can break in. Our salvation is secure because of the character of an all-powerful God who has given it to us and he holds it in his hand and nobody gets in to take it. Not you, not me, not the devil. Nobody. And because God preserves it and God is the most secure place on earth, we know we can have eternal life. And then the fourth reason we know we can have eternal life is because the Spirit guarantees it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. In other words, when you believed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. God's spirit actually lives within you. Romans 8 tells us it's the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. That spirit lives within you. And that spirit operates as a seal of sorts, as a guarantee of the possession to come. In other words, we don't right now have the fullness of eternal life that we one day will have. We don't even have the full communion with God that we one day will have when we see him in heaven. And so what God has given us is the Holy Spirit who dwells within our hearts and he acts like a stamp, like a seal, guaranteeing that there is going to be a future inheritance. Imagine uh, if you uh, sign your name on a document promising. You promise what? To pay your mortgage. You promise to pay your rent, whatever it is. You sign your name on that document. The signature is your testimony that you're going to pay it. Now, The signature is only worth as much as the character of the person signing it. The seal of the Holy Spirit is God's signature saying, I'm going to give you what I promised. And when the Holy Spirit enters into your heart as a believer, and this is critical, something now fundamental has changed about you. And you will never be the same. You cannot go back to before you were a Christian. You cannot. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Something has changed, and that is that the Spirit of God lives within you. Your heart is different. Your capacity to follow God is different. Your relationship to God is different. And even if you drift away, even if you sin, there is something about you that is fundamentally changed that cannot be reversed. Again, uh, thinking of Father's Day, you dads who are here, you know that when you became a father, the truth is that something in your world changed significantly, right? Besides the fact that you didn't get sleep anymore, besides the fact that uh, there was more noise in your home, all of these things, but something else fundamentally changed. And now for the rest of your life, you are a dad. Your relationships are different. The way you view yourself, perhaps, is different, even after your children may move on and leave the home. Even if there's estrangement between you and your kids, you can never go back to not being a father. You always are. For those of you who may not be fathers, perhaps the closest illustration I could think of, uh, college students, think about after you left your home. You grew up, you graduated, you left, you went to college and you were gone for several months and maybe you came back and you walked back into that house and you looked the same and you were in the same house, but something was different. Your relationships with your family were a little different. It didn't quite feel the same sleeping in that old room with the homecoming moms and all that, right? (laughs) Something was different and you have forever changed. You're now an adult. Your relationships with your parents will never quite be the same. Your relationships with that home, something has changed. You can't really ever go back to that previous state. And that's what Paul is telling us about salvation and receiving eternal life. You can't ever really, you can't go back because the spirit of God lives in you and acts as a guarantee and he doesn't leave. We have nowhere in the New Testament where we see an illustration of the Holy Spirit leaving a Christian because he can't and he won't. In Romans 8, again, if anyone has the Spirit of God, he belongs to him. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And so the Spirit guarantees the salvation that God has promised. And all of this is based upon the character of God. From the beginning of the New Testament to the end, it's, it's explicit that our salvation once given by God is absolutely secure, and you can rest upon that, and you can know that. So the question then is, if it is secure, why does it matter? Right, why should we care all right, for some, this may seem like it's an abstract theological debate. As some people say you can lose your salvation. Some people say you can't. Why does it really matter? All right, there's, there's a couple of passages that I want to point you to this morning. One comes from Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. The end of Hebrews chapter 5 into the beginning of chapter 6. And the author of Hebrews says this. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. All right, what's he saying? He's saying that there's a point in your Christian life where you are meant to mature beyond the basics. And I think what can happen for us is if we constantly are worried, am I saved? Am I going to heaven? What that does is it paralyzes us and it keeps us from growing like we ought to. Because instead of thinking, how can I please God with the things that he's called me to do? How can I in gratitude demonstrate to the world who Jesus Christ is? Instead, we fixate on this issue of, am I in or am I out? Instead of resting in confidence that if I have believed in Jesus Christ, I have eternal life and I can know that forever. And for some, they they tend to think that if we just allow it to be said that the grace of God is absolutely free and you can never lose it, if you let that happen, then people are going to live in sin and, and they're going to abuse it and there's going to be all kinds of problems. And the truth is, yes, that can happen. But the reality is that the best environment for growth is actually one of security rather than one of fear. Think about, for those of you that are married for a moment, what is the best environment for you really to love and serve your mate? Is it when you know that they love you and they're not going to leave? Or is it if they constantly threaten to leave? If you leave one more towel on the kitchen floor, I'm hitting the road. Is that an environment for growth? No. No. Is it an environment for you to have a real relationship of love and service and joy with one another to grow in the depth of your love? Absolutely not. It's an environment of paralysis, right? Because I may pick up the towels from the kitchen floor, but I don't do it uh, out of joy and gratitude. Instead, I do it out of fear and resentment. And I feel like I'm slaving away to keep this person's approval. And I think the failure to understand that God has given us eternal life freely, can contribute to an environment in which we treat God as a taskmaster whom we fear or resent. And we wonder what's going to be the moment where He's going to take it all away. Instead, when I am secure in my walk with God and I realize that He has done it all for me in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden that fills my heart with joy and gratitude and love for Him. And I want to reflect Jesus Christ because how could I not? with what Jesus has given me. And yes, it is possible to abuse the grace of God, but I think God decided in his great wisdom that he would rather take that risk in order to purchase men and women for himself, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and to have him receive all the glory rather than us claim our two dollars. So why does it matter? It matters because it fundamentally will change the way you relate to God. And so how do we respond this week? First of all, 1 John chapter 5, what we read at the very beginning this morning. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Father wants us to know that we have eternal life and to rest in that. And so for each of us, as we walk through the week, the challenge, I think, for each of us is to to constantly keep that truth in our minds and our hearts. Perhaps each morning when you say your prayers, get up in the morning and just thank the Lord that today you're secure. You don't need to worry that God is going to take away what he has given if you have believed in Jesus Christ. If you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, the message for you this morning is simply by trusting in what Christ has done on your behalf, that he died on the cross and rose again so that you can have eternal life. Simply by trusting in that, you can also wake up tomorrow and know that you're destined for an eternity with God in heaven rather than an eternal separation from him in hell. And for those who have trusted in him, constantly remember that and then we can sing praises to God that we're secure in him and that our salvation is all of him. So on the day we bow before him in heaven, he will receive all the praise, all the glory and will be a part of what God has done in the world to bring men and women to himself and to tell the world that, yeah, there's an absolutely free gift. There is one. And it comes from God through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, we do pray this morning that we would remember and trust that eternal life is free. And that it only comes from you. We did not earn it. We cannot lose it. We've contributed nothing to it. And you have given us everything. Father, we pray we would live in that reality so that we can grow, so that we can flourish in our walk with you. Because we love you. And we're grateful. Father, we do pray protect us from abusing the grace of God. Help us in a few weeks to understand the real consequences of that and the rewards for doing what is right. But never let us forget that eternal life is absolutely free. And I pray for those in here this morning who may be wrestling with their own salvation or that of a friend or family member. Father, that you would give them comfort based upon whether they have trusted in Jesus Christ alone. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.